the German band Scorpions, who placed priority one on American acceptance. Here we are, rocking you, America! I always say the Scorpions profited from all my moves I made, you know. It was not like, oh, Michael, like, selfish person and stuff like this, no. Okay. Guitar, the flying wheel. You know, you can't play it so fast uh, without the flying wheel. That was... They have not done the slow V yet, the fast V. No, it's really, uh, it's, it was a perfect uh, guitar for this edgy, uh, powerful karate sound. Yeah, you know it has been bothering me since 1982? It, it, did you find any sort of scratch tracks with you, with the Scorpions on the blackout days? I've always wanted to hear that. I've been asked that a lot. Yeah. yeah, I have some, but uh, I would never give it to anybody or play it for anybody or let it out of my hands. Because I remember when they were re-releasing Blackout, I'm not trying to change the subject, but I remember Matthias Jobs, I interviewed him, and I asked him on the deluxe version that they were coming out with, the 40-year anniversary, will they include Don Dawkins, maybe a few tracks from Don, you know, back in the day? Um, and he, he didn't know. So I, I, I'm trying to find somebody who knows. Well, that's not an answerable question. I didn't sing any lead vocals. I just sang background vocals. That's it. But didn't you do the scratch you know, tracks, sort of like as they were building the album? A couple. Only two songs I scratched. Okay. Just two. All right. But, you know... Welcome to episode 10 of the Cultural Futures Exchange, Blackout by the Scorpions. Welcome, everybody. I am Jeff, and that is Slip. Hello. And we are here to tell you about what is one of, I think, both of our favorite albums overall in, in our musical history. We both love this album. I think whether we're long or short, you'll have to listen and figure this out as we go along here. As a reminder of the conceit of uh, the uh, Cultural Futures Exchange, CFX, this is where we examine different elements of cultural ephemera, music, movies, TV, uh, dive into the context of the time got, that they came out, dive into the context of the time now, how they compare, and really discuss the future valuation in kind of a made-up stock exchange way of where we think the uh, you know album or TV show or movie or whatever it is will go. Will it go up in value? So going long, go down in value, short or neutral, stay about the same. If it seems kind of weird, uh, just, you know, you'll figure it out with us and it's not a difficult concept and it's just all for fun and pretend anyway, uh, just as an excuse for us to talk about our favorite shit. So here we go. Let's talk a little bit about this album, Blackout and the stage and zeitgeist around the time when this album came out. So I'll hand it over to you, Slip. Why don't you right. uh, get into it? Yeah, so, I mean, we got to talk about 
how the scorpions, like the environment, uh, not only that uh, they helped create in the 80s, but how they started in the 70s, because they started out really differently from what they ended up as by the time Blackout came out. You know, they started in early 70s Germany, and this was uh, an environment where there was this whole kind of music called Krautrock that we, we call a genre called Krautrock, which isn't really a genre so much because there were so many different kinds of music. Yeah. But it was characterized more by kind of experimental, you know, kind of psychedelic, a little bit of progressive rock, psychedelia, jazz. Um, and, you know, there were these talking about bands like Faust and Can and Craft, early Kraftwerk, um, early Tangerine Dream, right? So Scorpions started out in this, uh, I mean, they started out earlier than this, and we'll get into that in the history, but when they first created their first album, Lonesome Crow, I mean, this was uh, actually the time when Krautrock was a big thing in Germany, and the Scorpions weren't really part of that, but they kind of were, because they worked Wait, with what this. What year was this about? This is 72 when they when they okay. when the first album came out. So that's that's the environment. You know, all these bands were kind of, I guess, big in quotes because they were uh kind of the Zeitgeist in Germany, but they weren't um and it's funny, we get to use Zeitgeist in its original language, uh yeah. finally, because we always talk about that right in every episode. Yeah. But uh, you know, they weren't really part of the Krautrock scene so much. The music wasn't that close, uh, but they were actually uh, their first album was engineered by Connie Plank and he had a studio and he was doing stuff with Tangerine Dream and all these other bands, Kraftwerk, et cetera. Uh, you know, most of the famous Krautrock albums had something to do with this guy. So it's kind of cool that the Scorpions were part of that. They were much more like some of these other, some other German heavy rock that wasn't really part of that scene. Kind of more obscure bands, a band, Harry Chapter, which is a crazy band name, uh, Birth Control, <laughs> another band, Birth Control. If you, I, I forget the name of the album, but they have a, they have a, they have insane album covers too. Um, you know, we'll talk more about the Scorpions album covers. When I saw the notes, by the way, Harry Chapter and Birth Control, <laughs> I thought you were going to be talking about some like weird German early seventies porn or something. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, you know, we, we'll be talking about that kind of area as we talk about the lyrics later with the Scorpions. There was yeah, definitely, definitely that element, but no, this, this is just the environment they were in but they didn't really fit in with any of this stuff because they were much more of a straight rock band. Although the early Lonesome Crow is almost like a psychedelic album kind of yeah. sounds more like the doors or something than Scorpions. Although you do have Michael Shanker being part of the group. So Rudolph Shanker, the rhythm guitarist of the Scorpions, uh, Michael Shanker was the original lead guitarist and he was part of this band for that first record, right? They were brothers and Michael Shanker was like a prodigy practically. He was like 16 or 17 years old at the time. And uh, the only other band that's kind of really comparable to the Scorpions, I think, is Accept, because they're another band that was kind of proto-metal, German proto-metal from the 70s. Balls that transitioned, to the wall. Right. They transitioned super successfully into the 80s. They had Balls to the Wall, which is a pretty huge record. Um, and, of course, um, Restless and Wild, which is a, another masterpiece by them. Uh, yeah, it's a great time. song. It is. Um, yeah. And so... Uh, but but the, the the zeitgeist of the Scorpions is really kind of the early heavy metal, right? So they they came out with their first album. We'll talk more about that in the history. But then once they got Uli John Roth in the band for Fly to the Rainbow and Beyond, it really started to lay the found uh, the groundwork for early heavy metal. You know, even though there was some '70s elements, they had much more in common with a lot of bands such as early Judas Priest, right? Uh, Dio era Rainbow, which is kind of the first power metal that ever came out, really. 
yeah. um, UFO, which we'll talk about more in the history because of Michael Shanker's transition to that band. White Snake, uh, Thin Lizzy, I would argue, right? So, so Thin Lizzy was a hard rock band, but in the 80s, early 80s, before Phil Lynott's early death, uh, they played, they were pretty much metal by then. And they laid the, with those dual guitars, too. They, uh, Yesterday and Today, which later became YNT, you had, uh, uh, you know, White Snake, uh, which was uh, formed from the Ashes of Deep Purple, that was another band that would fit kind of into the same mold. Um, so there were quite a few. Um, you might even say Van Halen a little bit later, because Van Halen isn't really a metal band, but there's so many elements that are critical to metal that Van Halen created, mainly Eddie Van Halen's guitar yeah, playing, which sure. pretty much laid the foundation for all of heavy metal in the 80s. It was like that, you know, massive influence. Um, so that's kind of the zeitgeist that they were part of. They were part of that that transition to heavy metal that was happening in the late 70s. Uh, and they were, oh, I should also mention Budgie, another one of my favorite bands uh, that was made incredibly, inf- they were hard rock, they weren't metal, but they were incredibly influential on metal. I mean, Metallica, you know, I mean, how yeah. many budgies they covered like five or six budgie songs. They were majorly influenced by them. So they were all part of that kind of proto metal scene. And, uh, they, uh, were one of the bands that really created the genre. Uh, so that's kind of the zeitgeist they're in. And, now, and their longevity. I mean, just obviously they're still around today having formed right. in the late sixties, I mean, over a 50, 55 year really yeah. career of a band. I can't think of another band that's been together that long, even. Yeah, there, there are some, you know, Judas Priest is another one. Yeah. They're about 50. They just they're having their 50 50th anniversary tour this year, I believe, if COVID doesn't prevent it. So they're they're in this, a similar longevity, right? Early 70s Crazy. and then releasing their first albums in the in. Scorpions actually released albums earlier than Judas Priest, but bands older they, than us. So that's old as shit. Really. Yeah, so. that's really well, are at the same age as me. Right. <laughs> uh, Scorpions are even older, though. Right. Yeah. They're like that's... 60 years, almost 60, 60 years because they're they were formed in the in 1965 or so as as a kind of mercy beat British invasion style band. Right. And at the time, Rudolf Schenker was the singer. Right. And then he brought in Klaus Mina, much better singer. Right. Really fantastic singer, which we'll talk about more. Um, and don't and forget form- actor, which we'll also talk about. Oh, yeah. Oh, of course. Of course. Um, so, yeah. And I mentioned Connie Plank helped engineer their first album. It's kind of space rock, kind of psychedelia, uh, you know, maybe even more late 60s sounding than early 70s sounding. Uh, and uh, it's funny, the album is kind of. Yeah, it's tri- a trippy album. You know, doesn't really sound like anything else in their catalog. And it was actually used as a soundtrack for this experimental anti-drug film called The Cult Paradise. That's a translation from the German. Thank you, Google. Um, and they had that first record. But then when they went on tour, they went on tour with uh, what was then a, a space rock band, kind of like Hawkwind, UFO. This was before UFO became a proto-metal band themselves. And the way they became a proto-metal band was uh, basically filching the guitarist from the Scorpions, uh, Michael Schenker, right? So Michael Schenker was the lead songwriter at the time with the Scorpions. He was their lead player. Uh, UFO basically stole him. And I think the reason was, is he wanted to get famous and he realized that he thought, the only way I'm going to get famous is by joining a 
British band, right? Because right. as he has said many times, you know, German Germans just weren't as into this hard rock thing as the English were, right? The English were all playing this, you know, there was Led Zeppelin and, you know, Deep Purple in these bands. And that's kind of what he wanted to, he saw himself as becoming more famous if he joined one of those. The irony is the Scorpions were bigger than UFO ever were. So it's kind of funny that he made that move. But he still uh, thinks he would he's eventually responsible come back. for all the Scorpion success, right? As we heard in the opening clips. Oh yeah, he he of course credits himself. We'll, when we get to Love Drive, we'll talk more about that. Um, but because he rejoined them for a brief period of time. Uh, so anyway, they release Lonesome Crow. He leaves. The band completely breaks up. And there's another band playing around called uh, Don Road, which is more of a 60s, very Hendrix-influenced band led by uh, Ulrich Roth, who would change his name to Uli John Roth. Um, he is a Hendrix acolyte, right? Kind of in the same vein as Robin Trower and Almost Frank copycat. Marino. Yeah, total, I, I, total rip. Yeah, I mean, the influence is overwhelming. He even dressed himself like yeah. that, right? He, he still looks like that. He's like 70 years yeah. old. He still looks like an old hippie. You know, he's well, got that same style. That video that I sent you a clip of from like a Swiss TV show in the like 77 or 78. Oh, yeah. He's he's dressed like Jimi Hendrix. He has like purple pants, tight pants on and like some flower shirts. Like he he looked exactly like Jimi Hendrix, you know, dressed. Right. So it's crazy. And he's yeah. a great guitarist, but his style is like just like 100 percent Hendrix. Calm. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's like it's like Ingve Malmsteen is a great guitarist, but would he sound like he does without Betty, Eddie Van Halen? Probably not, right? Yeah. Or so Hendrix, it's, yeah. right? Yeah. It's a very similar, similar kind of influence where it's an overwhelming influence. I would argue that you know these guys who are influenced, like Frank Marino, uh, Robin Trowers, I mentioned, they're amazing, right? They're an incredible guitarists. They they did they took it to and made it their own, and I would argue Uli did as well. And he also added some proto metal elements that weren't there with the Hendrix. But yeah, his when you listen to him play, it's like complete Hendrix style. Like everything he does is, in, and he would be the first to admit that. I mean, that was his idol, right? Yeah. Um, so what's weird is they they join this band Don Road, but then they all decide, well, let's just reform the Scorpions together with this band, right? And that's when Francis bassist Francis Buckholtz joined as well because he was from Don Road, and they recorded Fly to the Rainbow which was much more like what they would start sounding like. It's kind of a cross between Lonesome Crow because there are longer extended pieces that are kind of proggy and spacey, but then it's got that solid rock foundation. It's much more straightforward rock than Lonesome Crow. And, um, uh, you know, we'll, with this, I want to kind of go on a little tangent here and talk about the album covers. Yeah. of the scorpions because fly to the rainbow like lonesome crow is weird because it's like called lonesome crow what the hell is that all about like it's a cover the cover is a picture of a scorpion and a hand and you know it's kind of artsy and cool but like what the hell lonesome crow where did that come from i have no idea and fly to the rainbow has got to be one of the most ridiculous album covers of all time it's super ugly it's like day glow rainbow colors with this weird robot guy with a welder's mask with a scorpion on it and he's got twin propeller feet and uli john roth was always talking about how that was such a dorky cover yeah but then they just went crazy with the album covers and the first one in trance that was the, by the time of in trance you know the score we'll talk more about the music in particular of in trance virgin killer and taken by force because this is classic 70 scorpions these are their the best work they did with uli john roth 
Um, but in Trance, had a cover where it's this kind of sexy model woman holding a guitar. And in the original cover, her breast can be seen, right? So what they did was they kind of, for the U.S. release, they kind of blackened that out. So it's like a shadow. So you can't see her breast. So that was the first change in the Scorpions cover. Then, of course, they went apeshit, absolutely apeshit, with the most notorious album cover ever made, Virgin Killer. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And if you haven't seen it, the Virgin Killer, you can see it on the internet now. It was banned in, in various places because... Arguably, it's child pornography, depending on how you, you interpret right. it. It's definitely a naked little girl on the cover, the daughter of, I think, the photographer or somebody associated with the band. And a title, Virgin Killer. And, it, and it's, you know, her, uh, you know, private parts are sort of obscured by some broken glass and things like yeah, that. Yeah, it's violent. It's a very violent, creepy-ass image. It, it's right? ridiculous. That shed, the, gla- the broken glass obscuring makes it almost worse. Right. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I, I mean, look, you know, having I don't know what they were thinking, you know, having a naked child on the on the cover is one thing on Houses of the Holy. There's naked kids on that album, but in a much, much, much more innocent, uh, you know, and healthy context. Yeah. And um, that, even that album would never be put out today. It, it would, would never, never do that, out. even though it's much more. I mean, Houses of the Holy is an amazing cover. It's like artsy. Right. Yeah. It's it's yeah. really cool looking and and artsy and mysterious and uh, I also love how there's no label on the. I mean, there was a, a hype sticker when you'd buy the record saying it was Houses of the Holy, but when you unwrap that, it's just the cover. You don't get any text. It's just this mysterious artsy cover. But with Virgin Killer, you know, it's just ah, uh, it's just hardcore. You know, it's 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 over the top. It's difficult. And and what's funny is, you know, when they were sort of challenged about it being, well, pretty gross, uh, they were trying to justify it at the time saying, well, you know, the, the virgin killer, it's it's time. It steals all innocence. Oh, God. And all sorts of bullshit like that. And it, it just overall, it's just a bad idea. And I just can't <laughs> even imagine like how they thought it could, you know, work. It was just really, really lame. And then they were trying to stick up for it. And in later years, they were like, okay, yeah, that was stupid. We should have just not done it. But it was just a bad idea. I just can't even imagine what was in their heads about it to begin with, right? So and unlike, unlike uh, in Trance, there wasn't much they could do to kind of obscure this cover. It was just such a bad idea, such a terrible cover, that they ended up coming up with an alternate cover. And whenever they would come up with these alternate covers, they're they're almost even worse. Yeah. I mean, in this case, I don't think you could say it was worse, but it was just ugly. You know, it's just this ugly, uh, you know, cover. It's a sh- cover shot of the band and it's just not a very good photo. And we'll get, you know, that seemed to be the theme when they would change these covers, right? Yeah. Um, they would just come up with some shitty uh, replacement. Um, and Taken by Force is a prime example of that. So Taken by Force, the original cover is actually really cool. It's like the cemetery... And it's these kids kind of playing gangsters. They're kind of dressed up as gangsters and they're shooting guns at each other. And it's like, I guess that was controversial. So they obscured that. And then what they came out with was this cover that's all black, except these tiny photos of the band at the top. And the layout is just, it's just ugly, right? It's just a terrible album cover. Um, I think with that one, I don't really get why that was that controversial, but I think, you know, maybe they'd set a precedent with Virgin Killer uh, and Entrance where 
anything they did, you know, the record company was gonna was gonna kind of go, well, this is too controversial, so we're gonna just slap on this really generic, shitty cover. And so they did that. Um, and um, and then Love Drive, right? Love Drive's got this kind of hypnosis art with this guy and a woman in a limo, and the guy's got there's like some bubble gum att- attached to her bare breast. And it's his hand. It's the weirdest, weirdest fucking cover ever. Um, fun, fun fact: uh, Playboy magazine uh, had a had a feature in 1979 where they gave this the best cover of the year. Yeah. I almost feel like they had that feature just so that they could say they could feature this album cover. Right? Because why? When did Playboy ever do that? You know, maybe yeah. they did that. I don't know. I don't. I don't really remember. Um, but you yeah, were reading Playboy for the articles at that time. Oh yeah. Yeah, when I was like ten years old, sneaking into my uh, stepdad's room and borrowing his copies of Playboy, yeah, it was uh, to read. Whoever uh, listens to this, uh, sorry, he already knows reviews. I should do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I had to get to that. Oh, those those articles, you know, very yeah. educational. Um, but anyways, and with Love Drive, the cover is um, you know, it's easier to find that one. I have all these records on vinyl, and I have. You know, Virgin Killer and Take It By Force. I'll get more to that in my bio about my history with the band. But I have the shitty, ver- you know, the the not the shitty versions in case of Virgin Killer, but I have the 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 redone covers. I don't have the originals of either of those. Um, but with Love Drive, I have the original with the boob cover and all that. Yeah. The other ones actually, you don't see it as much. It's just black and it's got like a scorpion on it, and it's just ugly. It's just the layout is bad. Um, so yeah, that was changed in the U.S. Uh, love drive and then animal magnetism was never ba- banned but it's freaking creepy as hell you know it's another hypnosis looking cover i'm not sure i didn't actually do the research to see if these were designed by hypnosis but they look a lot like something hypnosis would do and it's like you've got this guy in this kind of 70s you know these brown jeans standing there and there's a doberman and the girl is like you know let's just say on her knees at exactly yeah. the you know the submissive position, so that was another sort of controversial uh, cover. Um, and then, of course, we wind up with Blackout, which wasn't banned or anything, but it's an incredible album cover. Uh, and we'll talk more in the history about the hit, how that was put together. But um, you know, the Four Guys character, uh, kind of like the metal mascot of the Scorpions, even though they didn't really you know, leverage that going forward. Like, you know, like Iron Maiden has Eddie on every cover. You don't have the four guys guy on every cover, but that was another, you know, it's a pretty amazing album cover. Um, And it's funny because after that, the album covers become pretty pedestrian. After that, there's just like love at first sting. It's like pretty pedestrian, right? Savage mainstream, right? Uh, More mainstream. And I would argue that when they stopped doing controversial album covers, maybe the quality of the music, uh, really took a dive too. Um, you know, you get like Crazy World, which is just ugly. It's just this very generic cover. It doesn't even have a picture of the band or anything on it. Um, you know, at any rate, so that's the that's sort of the album cover thing. I wanted to go on that tangent just because it's like how many how many album covers have been controversial? It's got to be a Guinness record here uh, for for the band with the most controversial album covers, other than something like you know some un- indie underground metal or black metal or you know, really extreme metal bands might have more violent covers, but for such a mainstream band to have so many album covers be either banned or just be controversial has got to be, you know, unique to the Scorpions. 
Yeah, and if you're thinking, well, I've heard about this kind of album cover controversy before. Where have I heard about this? We'll get to that later. You oh, have heard yeah. it somewhere else. So. Right, right. Jeff's got some stuff. <laughs> he 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 had some thoughts on that. We you know Isabel. So we'll we'll go into that. But back to the history. So you know they they recorded "Fly to the Rainbow" and then they meet Dieter Dirks, uh, their producer, and um, you know he he worked with the band all the way up until Crazy World when they switched to Keith Olsen. Um, you know, he, he was the kind of, uh, what Terry Brown was to rush. He was to the Scorpions, you know, he produced all of their classic material. Um, and, uh, so he got, he produced, uh, in trance, uh, which is a, the first kind of classic album with Uli and that got some notice in Germany. And then of course, Virgin Killer, which in spite of its cover is actually another fantastic record. Um, and then taken by force, that's when Herman Rarebell joined. So you have almost the kind of classic 80s lineup, except you still have Uli there. And he Uli at this point was getting kind of frustrated with the band. He thought they were too mainstream. I'm not sure what's more mainstream about Taken by Force than Virgin Killer. They're both pretty melodic records. You know, that's the thing we'll talk about more about Scorpions. You know, it's very catchy stuff. Even this early stuff that no one really knows in the United States as much as the classic 80s stuff. I would argue the songs are just as catchy and we'll talk more about that. But, um, you know, and, and then they released, uh, the Tokyo tapes, which is a live record of that period, um, because they were popular in Japan. And so, you know, but they didn't really get much notice, you know, they, they still were kind of under the radar. Um, in 1980, uh, you know, when Uli left the band, he went to form his own band called Electric Sun so he could just completely go into his Hendrix world. Um, you know, and it's funny, I would argue that Take It By Force, the one thing more commercial about it is that Uli doesn't sing on any songs. Because if you want to talk about someone who can't fucking sing at all, if you listen to the, the Uli songs, I love the <laughs> Uli songs where he sings on some of the early records, but let's just say he's no Klaus. No. He's really can't sing in the least. So he forms Electric Sun, you know, so he can just play Hendrixy stuff more. Um, but they they then moving on to Love Drive. So the band actually Michael Schenker left UFO and came back to the Scorpions for Love Drive. And there's some controversy as to how much he contributed to that album. Uh, according to him, he did a lot more than he got credit for. And he's still really bitter about the whole thing, as you heard in that clip at the at the at the start. And actually, him and his brother, they just they're estranged. They don't get along at all. Um, they kind of hate each other. And they, you know, I, I've heard Michael Schenker has actually been a pretty difficult guy to work with. I think he's better now that he's sober. He definitely had cocaine and alcohol problems that were really severe at this time. It's a hell of but, a drug. Yeah. But basically, he he played on Love Drive. Uh, but they also had another guitarist who replaced Uli, Matthias Jobs, who who was the main guitarist for the 80s lineup. You know, another um, incredible player. Right. And Michael Schenker, too. Another one, a great player. You know, these guys just are incredible musicians. Um, and then they released Animal Magnetism. That gets some more notice uh, because of the zoo. You know, that was a huge FM radio hit. So. You know, and even Loving You Sunday Morning, Love Drive. Love Drive is actually a really great album, too. I think it's probably the second best next to Blackout in, in their in my opinion. Uh, unfortunately, they ruin it by doing a reggae song. No one wants to hear that <laughs> fucking shit. Um, 
Um, but in general, it's pretty consistent. Animal magnetism is a little spottier, but you know, it's got the zoo, which is another, you know, all time great scorpion song. Um, and then of course, Klaus had some problems with his voice. So he had to get surgery, uh, before they recorded blackout. And, you know, I would say this is the most successful throat surgery, vocal cord surgery ever performed, because I don't think he ever sounded better than on blackout. Like I love as much as I love the early Scorpions, I think his voice is just unbelievable on this record. And we'll yeah. talk more about that. So he de it definitely worked out. So during the blackout creation, you know, obviously um, he couldn't sing, you know, he had to rest. So what they did was they brought in uh, one of Jeff's favorite artists of all uh. time, Don Dawkins. <laughs> uh, to, <laughs> to do what's called the scratch tracks, which is basically the demos of the album. And then, and then according to Don Doc and he, um, you know, as he mentioned in the opening clip, he just sang background really. He's a dreamy warrior. I have to say. Uh, that's right. That's right. Um, and it's funny too, because I think Dawkin is one of those bands when we talk about the influence of the Scorpions, um, and we'll talk more about that, uh, you know, in our evaluations, but I think Dawkin is very influenced by the band. George uh, Lentz, uh, especially, I think. The oh, yeah, players. definitely. Yeah. Definitely influenced by the guitar playing of Scorpions, as were a lot of metal bands. But I'd say Dokken in particular, as they're kind of a borderline pop metal, uh, which the Scorpions also fit into, uh, yeah. in my mind. So, you know, uh, Blackout was released almost exactly 40 years ago. We're just a month ahead of that. So next March 29th, 1982. So it's really old. Um, it was by far their most successful record up until that time. It made the U.S. top 10, um, you know, and it might have even been higher had, you know, because a lot of genres with the way Billboard used to kind of figure out what what the charts were um, before SoundScan in the 90s. A lot of genres like country music, R&B and metal were sort of, you know, I would say ghettoized, you know, they were kind of put in their own box. And so for a metal album to be top 10, the sales might've even been higher than that. The chart position might've been higher if they had actually used a more accurate way. Yeah. Um, but some of these genres were kind of marginalized. And I think you saw that with the rise of Metallica, you know, and bands like that albums that you would never think would be a top 10 record, but these genres are actually more popular than the billboard charts, I think reflected at the time. So you would argue, you could argue that blackout might've been even more of a blockbuster uh, than, than it seemed to be. It was really popular, right? Um, of course, we talked about the cover art. Um, I always thought that this was Rudolf Schenker. Um, and Rudolf Schenker does play the Four Guys character in the video. I mean, he looks just like it. He's got that same stash. Um, yeah, and, uh, but it wasn't. Same porn stash. Yeah, he's got a... Well, we'll talk more about the porn stash later when we talk about how uh, <laughs> yeah, the lyrics are. Uh, but but basically, it was actually a self-portrait of the of the cover designer uh godfrey hall hallwine hellwine if i'm pronouncing that correctly he was the artist who did the the cover so he just happens to look a lot like rudolf shanker i guess um so yeah i would say uh you know and then and then of course the impact of the album it you know no one like you there's no one like you was a i mean none of these were top 40 hits but it was a massive hit on mtv and we'll talk more about the video, I'm sure, um, yeah, because it's amazing, right? And then, of course, following that, they got an, more MTV exposure because their in, Us Festival set was actually broadcast on MTV. You know, they they did performed on Heavy Metal Day at the 1983 Us Festival and were a huge 
hit because, of course, as we'll talk about in our evals, they're an incredible live band. Um, and then, of course, you know, the rest uh, is history, so to speak. Rocky Like a Hurricane comes out. Uh, Love It First Sting. This is by far their biggest selling album ever. It was a massive album. Uh, they followed that up with another successful live album, Worldwide Live. And we'll talk more about this, but of course, they also were one of the first bands to go to Russia. And um, I'll talk more about my history because there is a video of all this that documents their time in Russia, which I have on VHS. Um, and, you know, we'll talk about how much they played a part in opening the Iron Curtain. Maybe they played a bit of a part there. Yeah. Um, and they wrote a song about it called Winds of Change, which is their, which was a massive, massive ballad. It's their biggest single ever. It was number one in many countries around the world. Um, and it's funny because the lyrics are all about, you know, uh, Glasnost and the Iron Curtain coming down. And and there's long been a conspiracy theory that it was actually written by the CIA. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe the lyrics are more sophisticated than the Scorpions could do. I'm not sure where that comes from. But uh, it really couldn't have been written by the CIA. It sounds just like a Scorpion song more than anything else. It's not one of my favorites. But it's definitely one of their iconic songs. And it, it, there's no mistaking who wrote that song. I mean, yeah. um, you know, and then then after that, they kind of petered out, right? Just like a lot of heavy metal in the 90s. And they kind of have become more of a nostalgia act. They, um, you know, recorded an album. They did that Metallica thing, like S&M. And uh, I think Kiss did the same thing. You know, there was a trend of in the late 90s of bands recording all their songs with the symphony orchestra. Yeah. Um, Gosh. Being being that I saw that performed live, I will go into that more. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, they made Road to Glory and then they made an album called Acoustica, which is essentially unplugged. And they did they did this album called Come Black, where they played a lot of their old, old songs. You know, it's kind of like they're a nostalgia act. And then, of course, they... They did that whole thing in, in what, 2012, where they're like, we're going to retire now. You know, yeah. this is our final tour. I think they've like, had a more like final Kiss. tours than The Who or Kiss. <laughs> yeah. um, Motley Crue is another one, right? Yeah, these bands Kiss. keep saying, this yeah. is it. And they drum up all these sales. And then two years later, it's the final tour again. Yeah, we're back. We need more money. Right. And they're coming out with a new album, uh, I think, this year, you know, and Listening to the tracks, you know, it's okay. You know, it's it's kind of the same thing with a lot of these bands where they're emulating their old sound, but the songs just aren't as memorable. Uh, they just don't have the hooks. Uh, but the but Klaus still sounds incredible for his age. You know, he's like 70 now or pushing 70. Um, and uh, he still sounds great. So that's, that's kind of the history of the band uh, in a nutshell. So why don't we go into our own history, histories with the band and maybe you can kick that off. Yeah, I mean, they mostly came to my attention via their hits. You know, I, I didn't have any, like, detail uh, exposure to them in their, you know, full album uh, playing, you know, releases or anything like that. I, I heard their hits. I heard No One Like You. I heard uh, Rocky Like a Hurricane um, and all those sorts of things. They weren't my favorite band. I didn't have any of their albums in any of my inherited collections. I might have bought... Um, I know I had Blackout at one point, a tape of it um, that I must have, you know, either dubbed off of a friend or gotten from somebody. 
I do remember Rocky Like a Hurricane being out. And what year was that? Was that like that was like eighty three or something like that? Wasn't that? Or was I that think before? it was eighty four. But eighty four. It was. It was like yeah. If it was eighty four, it was really early eighty four. So it was around then. You know, it was about a year after Blackout. You know. Yeah, and I, I remember something around that. Yeah, I remember goofing on that song with my friend Daniel because we thought the line in it. Uh, so give her inches and feed her well. It was about the dumbest <laughs> dude, fucking thing. Dude, give her inches. <laughs> and give her that, inches. I know, that's that's one of the most notorious lyrics I've ever written. I mean, even as, as a teenagers where you think, you know, teenage boys, you think that we think that was kind of cool. Or we just thought it was stupid. And I even remember maybe, I don't know, we weren't typical kids saying, hey, the Scorpions, they talk funny in interviews. They're, they're, they're European, they're German. Would they be even talking about inches? Like, wouldn't they be on the metric system? And that always bothered me. <laughs> but that like always bothered me, right? And so I, I wanted to to fix a, a right or wrong here, if if you would allow me. So I'm gonna play the clip of the original. So here's the original right. song. Now, I wanted to correct it, so I, so I created this new version. So here you go. Well, check this out. Tell me if this is better. All right. Centimeters. <laughs> what do you think? Do you think that's, that's an improvement? That's great, but that's, I think that's probably, one, it doesn't flow as well, but the other thing is centimeters doesn't sound very like you're giving her very much. Maybe that's well, why, uh, that's why they stuck with inches. <laughs> <laughs> Klaus is a diminutive guy, so uh, yeah. you know maybe maybe that's appropriate. But I always felt that he wouldn't be singing about inches; he'd be singing about centimeters. So anyway, I I just felt I needed to. That always bothered me, and I wanted to to write that wrong. Um, I've never seen them live. I've had opportunities to see them live. They've played at like various monsters, a rock festival kind of things that I could have gone to, and I've never seen them live. I. Uh, I regret that because they are a great live band, but it was never, they were never like, oh, this is my top priority as a band to see as much more into, especially in the eighties when they're at the height of their fame into seeing Metallica and Iron Maiden and, and right. uh, Megadeth and, and Judas Priest and those kind of uh, bands. I didn't really get into, um, I agree with you about the Yuli John Roth stuff in trance and, and all those, and I'll get into that in my evaluation. I didn't really get into that stuff until much later. I mean, you might have been one of the people to get me into those albums. <clears throat> I want to say college was probably the time where I was into that stuff. And in recent years, I mean, in the subsequent years, and even in recent years, that's the stuff I listen to most. I listen to their hits. I like their hits. And on Blackout, No One Like You, and the song Blackout, I, I really oh, yeah. like a lot. Of course, I, it was played at the beginning of the show. Yeah. Um, they were never my favorite band. Like I was just saying, I, I always liked them. I still like them, but I don't ever really think I sought them out, but I always appreciated them when I saw them. And to your point about the Us Festival, I absolutely do remember seeing the Us Festival on MTV that they're set at my friend. Again, I think it was my friend Daniel's house. We didn't have uh, cable at the time. And that they were just like, oh, wow, this was like the best band um, that they showed clips from. They, they, there were... I was mentioning in the last episode about the Us Festival and how, you know, we didn't get to go and we were all kind of burnt about that. And uh, But 
The thing about the um, other clips that they showed, a lot of the bands didn't sound that great, but the Scorpion sounded exactly like their albums, right? Judas Priest was actually pretty good. And, you know, if you go back and you look at it, but the Scorpions were just better. And they were a really uh, great band. And so um, to see live. So I wish I had seen them live. It's probably too late now. I might go and see them. It might be okay, but it's probably not going to happen. So that was yeah. a boat that sailed. So anyway, that's kind of how I came to listen to them. And I listened to their 80s albums like everybody else. And I listened to... Um, their recent stuff and I'm not really into it. And I mean, I followed, I think the larger trend of their popularity and, and didn't really, you know, uh, not really an anomalous sort of uh, fan in that I like the old stuff and not the new stuff or anything like that. I I like all their main popular stuff a lot, but I do like their older stuff that most people don't listen to um, even more. um, I think like you, so I'll hand it off to uh, you. Yeah, I didn't get into that early Scorpion stuff in college at all. It was much later than that. So you wouldn't have, if you had heard that at the time, it wouldn't have been from me. I mean, I was aware of it. I didn't really know where it fit into the thing. I remember seeing Virgin Killer, not the explicit cover, but the replacement cover, you know, and wondering about that. Like, because I didn't really even know that about that 70s stuff so much. You know, obviously my trajectory with the band at the beginning is the same as you, MTV. That's where I first heard There's No One Like You. I loved it immediately. Uh, But I was kind of in a love-hate relationship with that kind of stuff at the time. I was getting more into classic rock. I was more into kind of K-rock stuff. And, you know, when you're young, a lot of times you're kind of identifying with certain music. And even though I, you know, I liked metal, I kind of was contemptuous of it at the same time, you know? And, And my friend, it's funny, I had this friend, Joe, who, like, he was kind of in the same boat, right? We both, like, Loved ACDC and Van Halen and all this stuff. But then we were kind of getting more, we were like more serious, like into the Beatles and the Who and, you know, Pink Floyd and stuff. So we kind of turned our nose up at metal. But he had this other friend, Rick, who um, he was really good friends with Joe. And he's like, I'm going to buy you all these metal albums and get you back into metal. So he bought him like Shout at the Devil, Screaming for Vengeance. You know, this was like 82, uh, 83. Uh, So it was a little after but 82 83 i mean this is like golden era shit right it's like you're getting some of the best metal albums ever made and one of the ones he bought him was blackout so he bought him all these records like uh and tried to get him back into metal um and i remember listening to it then and of course i remember rocky like a hurricane you know it's so irresistible such a catchy tune um and uh but i didn't really think much about them you know, I always like Blackout, and I still think Blackout, like, I think you agree. It's like a top five Scorpion song. It's one of the catchiest freaking songs. It's so good. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember the whole Russia thing, but I'll get more into that a little bit later in my history. I remember Winds of Change and kind of hating it, whatever. I didn't really think about them. I remember the Us Festival. You know, they were, like like you said, they weren't really, like, one of my top bands, and I didn't really own any records by them at the time. You know, I just remember the hits. Uh, I always love Still Loving You. I think it's one of the greatest ballads of all time. I think it's an incredible vocal performance. It's so melodic. Um, And I remember that. It almost sounds like a classical piece they repurposed because it's such a classic melody. Um, And they have a lot of that. You know, and I remember liking those songs. And I remember thinking they were kind of funny or whatever. I just didn't really think about them that much, right? 
Um, but then in the 90s, my friend Aaron, he's on YouTube. You can watch him. It's called The Metal Theologian. He's got this massive record collection. He's an expert in music and metal. Um, he got started getting into the 70s Scorpions. Um, you know, at first he was really only into Lonesome Crow because he likes all that Krautrock stuff. But then he started listening to the Uli stuff and he's like, man, this stuff is so good. This is the same time he started getting into early Judas Priest. And he turned me on to all that stuff. And that's when I really got into the band and I started collecting those old Uli records. And I actually got Blackout later and I was like, holy shit, this record is almost just as good. You know, it's everything's yeah. just as good on it. You know, and, and, and since then, I've listened to the other stuff like Love at First Sting. Love at First Sting, the hits, the singles are great, but it's very spotty. And, you know, some albums like Crazy World and Savage Amusement just aren't good at all, really. Um, but I got Love Drive, I, you know, Animal Magnetism, I still don't have. That one's like not as consistent to me. But all these records, I have almost all of them. And um, I really got heavily, heavily into the Uli stuff in like the late 90s. And just in time for that, there was there's this radio station here in Northern California called The Bone 1077. It's a classic rock slash kind of hard rock radio station. Um, and they had this thing called The Bone Bash. And so me and my friend Bob and, you know, our uh, his wife at the time and Barb and uh, I think a couple other friends of his, we all went to the Cow Palace to see this yeah. bone bash. Right. And it was Cow it Palace. was crazy because, you know, this is like year 2000. And I swear to God, everyone in fucking the outer counties like fucking Vallejo came in and it was like these old metal burnout guys like these weren't yuppies kids. they weren't they weren't kids these were the original <laughs> fans who would have seen this show in 1982 yeah. you know they were the same people who were seeing Klaus and the Scorpions at the Cow Palace in 1982 awesome. and um it was the lineup was there was this opening band Heartbreaker that was like a Led Zeppelin cover band. And the best thing about Heartbreaker, the thing I remember the most, is the bass player wore like a Prince Valiant, John Paul Jones style wig. <laughs> it was like so fucking awesome. And they were whatever. I was actually more excited to see Pat Travers because maybe another album will do at some point is one of my favorite albums of all time. Uh, Go For What You Know, which is a single live album by Pat Travers. It's just a fucking smoke and rock album. And I was so into this album at the time because I found it at like Goodwill and I just loved it. So I was almost more excited to see Pat Travers, believe it or not. And he was like in this little small stage. And, you know, Pat Travers at the beginning. He played at like the a local park near me for like oh, an yeah. end of summer. Yeah, thing. I mean like, he's so he's so much smaller than these yeah. bands ever were, right? And and um, but he came on stage. He told us he was going to kick our ass, and he pretty much did. I'd say yeah. he put on a fucking awesome show. I also got to relive a childhood fantasy of being able to scream "boom boom out go the lights," right? His famous <laughs> life. So so that was really awesome. So we Night Ranger we skipped. I've seen Night Ranger a bunch of times. I really only like a few Night Ranger songs anyway. And we skipped it to drink beer, you know, in, in one of the little things in the Cow Palace. And then we came out for the Scorpions. Now, this was the Road to Glory tour. So the Scorpions were playing with a full orchestra, you yes. know, just like Metallica. And I can tell you, sometimes this worked and sometimes it did not work. And what was funny is it was the San Jose Symphony and the conductor wore a leather like tucks and tails. So that was pretty <laughs> awesome. But they, but they fucking come out and they play the zoo. So you can imagine the zoo has got this jet, jet, jet. So it's like the violins are going. It really was ridiculous, but some stuff like, of course, you know, 
Winds of Change and, uh, you know, Still Loving You sounded amazing with the orchestra. But then you do like Blackout with, you know, kind of really fast violins. It just sounds so stupid, you know. But Klaus was amazing. His banter was amazing. He comes out, he's like, Kapalis, so many memories, you know. (laughs) California! And then he, they did this thing where they did Big City Nights and they brought out Jack Blades, right, from um, Night Ranger to play bass with them and sing. Um, and the funniest thing was, was his banter. So, it, it, you know, because well, this was really cool because we were listening to The Bone during the day and they played Big City Nights, you know, and, and the DJ, whose name was B- Billy Steele. So Klaus has this banter. He opens up with these like, we were driving around San Francisco. And of course we were listening to, you know, the bone. And the crowd goes wild. <laughs> we're listening to DJ Billy Steele. He played this song, Big City Nights. We're going to play it right now with Jack Blaze. Big City Nights, let's go. You know, and he would yeah. do this. He would do shit like throw in California. You yeah. know, just sing that in the middle of the song. It well, was he does that on awesome. other live albums. Like that's like He always famous, throws in, yeah, yeah the, Cali- yeah, Big City Nights on one of their live albums where he's like, California! Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He did that, too. Yeah. He did that. And, and you know, it was a good show. And the thing is, they, they're they just a flawless live band. They are um, they are fla- absolutely flawless. I mean, when they play, he doesn't miss a note. I mean, the band is just rock solid. They're so professional. One of the most solid shows I've ever seen as far yeah. as that goes, you know, as far it. as confidence. Yeah. So, of course... Um, you know, I was into that. You know, they didn't play any Uli John Roth era stuff. They occasionally will trot out Uli and he'll join them for like Speedy's Coming or one of these old songs. Um, but um, I, I have seen Uli John Roth a couple of times. I saw him at this club called Annie's that's no longer there in San Francisco in 2008. Um, he played a lot of his new music, which is almost like this kind of, I would just compared to like Eurovision Song Contest winners, just this <laughs> kind of really terrible Euro metal that's like, yeah. you know, not even his Hendrixy stuff. And he played some of that, but he did play a couple of Scorpions covers and he actually had a female singer do the Klaus parts and she was really good. And they played a bunch of stuff off of Taken. You know, they played maybe, I would say not a bunch, like three or four songs off of Taken by Force. I saw him a few years later in 2013 and his whole set list was Scorpions. So that was like one of the best shows ever. Because he played only the classic 70s Scorpion songs. He didn't play any of his other shit. And he had right. a um, younger guy doing Klaus's vocals. And man, it was, it was, they played like Robot Man and, you know, uh, Riot of Your Time, Gotta Be Free, Sales of Sharon, which is another, yeah. uh, you know, one of the top five songs for me for Scorpions. Um, you know, and so I was really into that. So, like, I've seen him twice. So I really do love that 70s Scorpions. I've, I realized at some point that they're, that that period of the Scorpions is probably one of my favorite bands, if not top 10, maybe top 20. I just listen to it a lot. I listen to like in trans and Virgin killer and, and uh, take it by force all the time. Fly to the rainbow, maybe a little less, but that's pretty damn good too. Um, so funnily enough, you, you know, years, years after that, maybe a few years ago, uh, actually it wouldn't have been a few years ago because it was the last time I had a VHS player, which I don't remember when that was. So it was probably around this time, 2012, 2013, my wife and I were in a goodwill and I saw this videotape like Scorpions in Russia. I forget what it's called. It's like from Moscow with love or some shit like that. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it's all about the Scorpions being one of the first bands. You know, we talked about Billy Joel doing this during the Glass Houses episode. He was one of the first guys to go over to Russia and play right uh, from the West. 
Uh, of course, I think the first band was Uriah Heat, but the Scorpions were probably the second one or maybe around there. And they played in Russia. And it's this whole documentary about them being in Russia. And it's fucking awesome. You know, they're basically, you know, they, there's this one scene that's amazing where they're in this punk club. And it's funny because these punkers love the Scorpions. So, I mean, what could be more punk than a huge corporate rock band in a communist country, yes, right? Naturally, uh, yeah. it, but they're playing this really gritty kind of raw, incompetent punk rock. And the Scorpions get on stage and play with them <laughs> like in this tiny club. It's really yeah. cool. And then at the end of, and then uh, the lead singer of the punk band, Klaus gives him a gift. He gives him a pair of his jeans. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, to, you know, jeans are like fucking Bitcoin yeah. in Russia in like 1987. <laughs> it was like currency, you know, to get yeah. Levi's, but much less the Levi's of a rock star, you know, right. even though, you know, I'm not sure I'd want to wear those jeans. I'm not sure where they've been, you know. <laughs> I um, think we know where they've been. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so yeah, that's really funny that, you know, it's a really cool documentary. Um, and, uh, it's really interesting, you know, it's kind of moving too, uh, just to see these Russians like go apeshit for the scorpions. And it's funny because around this time, you know, they brought Motley Crue over there, you know, what's his name? Uh, doc, what's his name? The, the, the doc McGee, you know, yeah, he was the manager McGee, of all yeah. these bands. He brought over Bon Jovi and it's funny because really the Russians couldn't give a, I mean, they were excited to see Bon Jovi, but they didn't really fucking give a shit about Bon Jovi. When yeah. Ozzy came on, that's what they wanted to see. They wanted to see Deep Purple, Ozzy and the Scorpions. They wanted to see the European bands. They wanted to see the real metal bands. Yeah. They didn't want to see, even though I would argue the Scorpions are kind of borderline in there. I mean, their music has got a lot of heavy metal elements, but it's very poppy too. You know, but they weren't garbage so merchants like Bon Jovi. No, but they're so po they're so good. That's the thing. And it, and there's a scene where they're playing the song "Holiday," which is one of their songs from Love Drive, and the whole crowd is singing every fucking word. So they their their tapes were traded, you know, all over Russia, and so people knew all the songs. It was it's a really pretty awesome thing. I would I someday I'd like to get it on a DVD or something because it's like it's really good documentary and really uh it's funny too because of course they're funny <laughs> you know but anyway <laughs> that's my history with the band um you know and like i said oh there's one little story that's funny too um one day we were cleaning the house we were gonna have a party we have this glass shower door and i was and i'm not kidding i was playing blackout during this time and i was getting i was grabbing the shower door to pull myself up so i could clean the ceiling of the shower and the fucking thing i pulled it down and all the glass shattered everywhere so it pretty much looked like the cover of Blackout in my bathroom, except nice. that I didn't have forks in my eyes, although I felt like I was stupid enough to do that. I might as well have had forks in my eyes. So I broke the glass and I had to end up cleaning it all. But it was like that was uh, the album I was listening to while cleaning up was Blackout. So it's kind of a funny little story. Anyway, that's my uh, my whole history. So let's let's go into the evaluations. Yeah. So the Blackout album, first off, we were talking about the album cover with Fork Eyes, and it's a really amazing, uh, iconic album cover. And one of my friends had the, the vinyl and we would listen to it and we might have been, you know, smoking a bowl or two, uh, you know, just to say at the time. And that album cover used to freak me out. Like, I was never freaked out by all the other albums from like metal bands. All the Iron Maiden stuff was just funny to me all the, you know, other metal stuff that was kind of like devil iconography and all that kind of stuff was just sort of like, yeah, whatever. 
But this particular uh, album just would freak me out. I just get the heebie-jeebies from it. But yeah. I still love the album, of course. Um, I, I it was think like Iron Maiden too, right? Like yeah. I saw Killers and I was like half intrigued and half terrified, you know, because it was so scary. Yeah, I was never scared of the Iron Maiden ones. They were always kind of yeah. funny to me. This one, for whatever reason, is like creeped me out. And I like the album a lot. It's probably, uh, Blackout is probably my all-time favorite uh, Scorpion song. Um, I like the other hits, of course, we talked about earlier, um, you know, Scorpion songs that I really like, the Yuli John Roth era, In Trance, Top of the Bell, Sales of Sharon, Sharon, yeah. whatever it is. That's actually one of my favorite Scorpion songs as well. Um, the, the songs on Blackout, though, I like them all. They're really good. The entire album is solid from beginning to end, top to bottom. But there are some things I, I, I do want to call out about, uh, about it. A lot of the songs on Blackout, maybe not the song Blackout or even No One Like You, but some of the other songs are just like flat out Led Zeppelin ripoffs. Uh, like uh, I think you were, you were mentioning when you were talking earlier, like uh, China White, you know, half the song is Cashmere. I think like half the album sounds like most of physical graffiti in a lot of ways. Um, I, I do. Yeah, wanna... I would argue China White is definitely Cashmere. That's the influence, but it's got some interesting things on it going on its own. Like I love the. It's for one thing. It's in, it's in slightly weird time signature at least it's syn it's syncopated and then it's got that really cool riff where he's kind of pulling the notes where yeah. it's like wow, wow, wow. like it's cool but yeah there's no doubt they listened to cashmere a million times before writing that fucking song because it's like it could be uh it could be on physical graffiti sure well yeah. and then there's other you know parts other songs on there that are ripoffs of led zeppelin i'm going to play an example right so this is a, a small clip from a song called uh, now we'll play more of this yeah. later, but does that sound like anything to you that you may be familiar with? With uh, maybe this. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, I didn't think of that. That's a good catch. That's definitely true. So I. I mean, look. To say that a band is influenced or even ripping off Led Zeppelin, there's a thousand bands that do that. Led Zeppelin's obviously yeah, and ripped them off even more uh, obviously, I think, because I mean, I don't think you would mistake the Scorpions for Led Zeppelin once you hear at least the vocals. But yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt there. It's a it's a huge influence. But I also want to say that there's a lot of that. This album was an iconic album. It was an influential album. And there's other bands that in turn, you know, uh, maybe the saying, uh, good artists borrow, great artists steal. I'm not so certain that the band I'm about to talk about is a great artist, but here's the intro uh, to uh, the song China White. I want you to listen to this. I'll help you with the influence here, so. Shout. Oh yeah. <laughs> Shout. Shout. <laughs> Shout. Yeah. You get the idea, right? Yeah. So, uh, that, I mean, Motley Crue just 100% ripped that song off yeah. uh, for Shout at the Devil, in my opinion. And they're not the only one, right? So I want to play another great song off this album, uh, When the Smoke uh, Goes Down. And just listen to the intro and then see if you can guess what other song that we've actually played on this podcast before. But uh Listen to this clip here. Oh, 
Now, here's the other one, and, and tell me if you know who this is. Wow. Yes, I do. <laughs> so, this is uh, Ricky Wilson. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah this, it's identical. It's I identical. Think, I think there might be an inverted note here or there, but it's pretty much the same. I, I can't believe that... Um, they don't get sued for that. I mean, that's yeah. just uh, that's just ridiculous. Um, you know, if uh, Rudolph Shanker, if you're out there, you should go have a little talk with uh, Sebastian Bach and the boys. And Snake Sabo or whatever his name is. The, yeah, the guy. I mean, that, that, they just yeah. absolutely 100% rip yeah. that off. Uh, so anyway, no one, nobody like you. No one, nobody like you. Is it? Wait, no one. No like one you. like you. No one like you. Right is obviously a, a great song. Um, I love that, just like everybody else does. Um, really, probably my second or third favorite song overall. Um, I, like you were saying, they're just a consistent band. Their musicality, uh, their live performance, all great. Every time I've ever seen anything live from them, even way back in the day to even recently, they sound just like their albums, which is pretty incredible. Uh, Klaus is... It, you know, to be sounding at that high of register, as uh, good a singer as he is still to this day is amazing to me. He can still yeah. hit those notes, whereas somebody like Geddy Lee can't even get close to right. any of those notes that he used to sing. Like in There's recent- a lot of, there's even more kind of powerhouse singers, guys like D- David Coverdale and Ian Gillen, who can't sing at all. Yeah. You know, they just thrash their voice. I mean, he really took care of his voice. And to, and and he's singing on this album at a level like the song you played now. I mean, that those vocals are insane. And he basically did that all after throat surgery. It's just That's amazing. amazing. It yeah, is. Bruce Dickinson, another one who he had throat surgery, not as not as successful, right? He had throat cancer. Right. Uh, he can't he can't do it anymore, really. I mean, he sounds okay, but I've seen him live twice since it since that. And you know, it's kind of frustrating to hear Bruce try to hit some of those notes. He just can't do it. Um, yeah, but Klaus and, and, is incredible, and and uh, agreed. And and you know, Bruce was obviously one of the best singers ever, and so it's it's unfortunate. Oh yeah, um, but I mean, just as you know, hearing them recently, uh, relatively recently, still sounds incredible. But I I do gotta get into here um, another aspect of you know the Scorpions that is just unavoidable is that. They probably are the prototype for Spinal Tap. <laughs> I mean, just like flat out, they are a Spinal Tap band. I, I mean, from their history, from like the Mercy Beat stuff all the way through all the psychedelic stuff to the metal stuff to like the hair metal stuff, the hard rock stuff to the hair metal stuff. It is like almost completely tracks, uh, you know, Spinal Tap. Maybe the Spinal Tap, uh, you know, guys there, uh, Michael McKeon and um, what's the other guy, the main guy? Forget his name now, Christopher. The, Christopher uh, Guest, yeah, Christopher, Christopher Guest, Guest, and Harry Shear and all those guys. They they must have looked at the Scorpions. They must have the Virgin they, Killers. They comp- may have. There's there's actually some pretty uh, explicit influences for various scenes at Spinal Tap that are from different bands, but um, but the trajectory you're right of this band, like we mentioned, the Mercy Beat, the fact that they started out then. 
Um, and I think you're going to get into more detail, but it's in, it's pretty uncanny. It's, it it's is. crazy. It, it, and the album controversy thing. Yeah. The album cover, smell the glove, smell right? the glove. The whole yeah. smell the glove thing is exactly the sort of trajectory that you were talking about earlier yeah. with the out al- different album covers. Their lyrics. It's not that, sexist. It's sexy. It's sexy. It's sexy. <laughs> exactly. And and their lyrics, which we'll get into in your section a little bit, are absolutely look my love pump. The the videos for this album, Blackout in particular, are there's nothing more spinal tap than these videos. Okay. The No One Like You video, you must go and watch it. We'll put a link in the in the show notes. Um, it's just like, it winds up being a fantasy, right? But it's, uh, you know, Klaus is in Alcatraz and he's essentially getting a conjugal visit from some woman. And it, it, the whole video is like, plays out like some bizarre movie. Um, Rudolf Schenker, as you mentioned, is is uh, reprising the, the, the Four Guys guy. It, it's really one of the most amazing videos in terms of like, is this for real? How did they come up with this? Early MTV um, had some interesting stuff in it. People didn't quite know what to do with music videos. And this is clearly one of those things. I watched it a couple of times at first. I was like, oh my God, this is hilarious. Like in a not so great way. But when I rewatched it, I was like, you know, it's, just, it's kind of interesting. It made me laugh a lot because there's a lot to goof on. Especially, you know, Klaus, you know, a guy who's probably like five foot two, you know, trying to be a tough guy in prison and stuff like that is is pretty amazing with his Stephen yes. Wright hairdo. Yeah, he's got the Stephen <laughs> Wright hair, yeah. And but the the and again, I mentioned like he he gets some the whole uh, thing of the videos. He's getting essentially a conjugal visit from you know some you know exotic uh, European looking uh, woman. And at the end, it turns out he's just dreaming the whole thing about Alcatraz, of course, which is ridiculous. But that is not the best video uh, made for this album. (laughs) (laughs) It's the biggest hit, but not the best video. There was a video made for the song Arizona on this album, which I don't even know exactly what to say about it, other than they seem to have turned over the keys to some Arizona State frat boys and asked them to make a video. (laughs) That's true, because they're not even in the video at all. They're not in the video at all. And essentially it's just like a bunch of Arizona State cheerleader type gals doing like sexy dancing. And there's like this kind of B story where there's some, you know, handsome dude and beautiful woman and they're having some kind of love affair in cars. And yeah. like- in, which, uh, which mirrors the lyrics, right? Right. Uh, which, the lyrics are, loved her in her car, took me to the stars. That's a, yeah. we'll, we'll talk more about how great these <laughs> lyrics are later. But, but that scene is portrayed in the video Several times. Um, and then there's a goofy cop in the video, too, that the guy actually, it looks like he throws him off a hill or something. Yeah, yeah. Which so I would fr- assume would be a bad thing to do. But yeah, it's very strange. Maybe not in Arizona State, but yes, there's some violence there that is hard to yeah, explain. Yeah, maybe it's, uh, I, it even <laughs> seems like it might be a community college. Well, but it's, it's Arizona a project State, or something. You could yeah. argue is. <laughs> Sorry. It's party uh, school, yeah. Uh, um, Anyway, sorry, Sun Devil fans, my my bad. Uh, anyway, the the larger you know video is, is really questionable in a lot of ways. It's amazing; you should watch it. Um, and I just can't even. I mean, it, it is the most Spinal Tap thing too, because you could imagine the Spinal Tap guys would turn over the making one of their videos to some frat boys, and they would love the result. So if you imagine in your head. What the Spinal Tap guys would appreciate 
in a video uh, made by some frat boys. That's what this video actually is. So you should go and watch it. It's amazing. Um, the the lyrics of the song we, we'll talk about later a little bit. But overall, my um, you know evaluation here is I'm slightly long on the Scorpions overall. I think that the Yuli John Roth era stuff is just not very popular. There's nerds like us who are probably into it um, and will always be into it because there's some great music there. But I think a lot of that's kind of mostly under the radar and might even disappear to some degree over the decades. I think that the um, Scorpion's greatest hits essentially will always be around, you know, Rocky Like a Hurricane, uh, No One Like You, Big City Nights, all those sort of things will always be around and, and their popularity will kind of wax and wane as 80s sort of hair metal and hard rock comes in and out of vogue. So I guess my recommendation here would be, you know, maybe buy on the dips because I think it's slightly long, but I, right. I can't say I'm hugely long. So I'll right, turn it right. over to you. Okay. Yeah. I, I think um, overall, I think Blackout is a, is a one of the classic metal albums of the 1980s. Uh, I definitely like the Uli years better uh, overall, but I think this is the best album of the Matthias Jobs era and even better than Love Drive, which I think is also pretty solid. Um, I would put it maybe third or fourth on the list of my favorite Scorpions albums, um, but there's just not a bad track on the, on the record. Okay. Even though, as you point out, I think there there's some definite ripoffs here and there, but I think in general, the songs are just all memorable. They're all good all solid. Any one of them could have been played on the radio. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just, a, it's just a solid album. Now it's pretty frivolous shit, you know, I, on one level, because <laughs> yeah. it's, it's basically, you know, in the early days, the Scorpions did have a little more, I mean, the lyrics are, we'll talk about the lyrics. We both put lyrics in our evaluation. We decided it made sense to talk about them together. I'm going to talk about them in a bit, but, um, you know, in the early days, they they tended to sing more about different things. It tended to be a little more sophisticated, if as far uh, as sophisticated in concept, if not English language ability. Um, but uh, you know, they were they they did sing about different things, and now it seems much more about partying. You know, they kind of are like a German Van Halen, but not as clever. You know, I would yeah. say, and Van Halen has stuff like Mean Streets and, you know, they've got DOA. They've got some dirty, Romeo Delight is even kind of, you know, they've got some edgier, dirtier stuff that they do. And then Unchained they've got stuff like, too. yeah, Unchained, which, yeah. you know, and then they've got stuff like, you know, uh, Everybody Wants Some and Bottoms Up and Beautiful Girls. That's more of the Scorpions area, right? It's much more about Diver down. rock and roll and partying. <laughs> um and so it's kind of frivolous, but at the same time, I think one of the things that Blackout isn't recognized for is, for better and for worse, its influence on popularizing heavy metal and mainstreaming it. Yep. Because a lot of metal at the time, you know, you're dealing with really deep metal, like Iron Maiden and Judas Priest are, I mean, Judas Priest is getting more commercial. They've got Living After Midnight, these anthems. that They were kind of maybe the first people to do that. And then... And, but Iron Maiden is just, there's nothing commercial about it at that time. It's even though the songs are memorable, they're classic. This is like metal for metal heads. This is like really heavy metal where the Scorpions and Van Halen are kind of more dipping their toe in the mainstream. Now the whole pop metal thing, Def Leppard gets all the credit for that, right? It's pretty much pyromania is where that began. I would argue that the Scorpions deserve to 
get the credit for it. That blackout is where that began. Because that's what I think this music is, while it's heavy and the guitar is just pure metal, it's so melodic and so catchy and so poppy. Um, ACDC too, to some degree, yeah. back in black. Well, ACDC, whether they're metal or not is another thing. I mean, they're yeah. a hard rock band. I guess you could say, yeah, something like uh, You Shook Me All Night Long is like a pop song in yeah. a way, right? Yeah. So yeah, of course, and ACDC, what's more popular than back in black? Almost nothing. Right. You know, right. It's like, uh, but, but as far as, um, as far as that whole pop metal thing that would manifest itself in things like Bon Jovi and later Def Leppard, uh, and even Van Halen would do it with jump. Right. Um, I would argue that the Scorpions were one of the progenitors of that for better or for worse. Now, the, again, we mentioned their musicianship, they're a great live band. They're solid. Um, I would also like to highlight Klaus's voice. Let's play another clip from the song now and let's listen to that. Yeah, it's just awesome, right? I mean, obviously yeah. you mentioned that's very influenced by Robert Plant, but he holds his own with classic Robert Plant there sure. as far as hitting those notes. And and I would argue he's probably a better singer overall. He definitely, his voice has definitely had more longevity. Um, and he's, you know, he's hitting those uh, amazing notes uh, there. And this is after throat surgery, as we've mentioned many times. Um, and then of course, you know, uh, you and I had talked back and forth. You had sent me this thing about, uh, it was Rick Beto talking about the opening to uh, Steely Dan song. Was it, uh, no, uh, what was the song? It's Josie. Don't Take Me Alive or Josie, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned Don't Take Me Alive. They, these songs that begin with this intro, it's kind of like, hear ye, hear ye, kind of like the, you know, the, in the medieval times, the herald would come out and play the horn and, and announce like what's going to happen. It's kind of like this announcement of the song about to begin that doesn't really, you know, it's, it's, it's like a solo. It's like this intro. And I would argue that Boston does that really well. Like you listen to something like long time, it, it starts with that foreplay, but then it goes into this guitar solo at the beginning. And I think that's just iconic. And I think the Scorpions with There's No One Like You, it's one of the most iconic of those intros, right? Yeah. It's an incredible intro, incredible guitar interplay. Let's listen to that. Awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. And I love the weird, whispery, almost creepy vocals. Girl, where he's like, girl, <laughs> been a long time since we've been apart. You know, it's so good. Yeah, it For is. a man who needs love. <laughs> but it's, 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 yeah, it's just, 
you know, it's a popular song. We've heard it a million times. I never get tired of this song. I think it's fucking awesome. Same it's with great. Blackout. It's great, you know, great song. But, and everything's really great. So that's on the good side of things. Now, as far as the not so good, um, you know, you and I both in our evaluations put this. And so I think it made sense to talk about it as one. Uh, and we're going to talk about the fucking lyrics. So let's start <laughs> out with a bang. Let's play a couple of those clips from Dynamite, which All is right. the the best lyrics and the worst lyrics on the album. I'll play arguably. them back to back and then we can talk. All about right. Them. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, it, so yeah. if, you, if you didn't give you all my sides <laughs> <laughs> so now they're now, now they, they're, they're metrics and agnostic on this yeah. one it's just my side yeah universal uh, yeah. dimensional uh, and eat there. your meat <laughs> until you're breathless yeah that one is a little gender confusing to me but um so it, let me just read the lyrics it, just yeah. so if, if people couldn't, you know, necessarily parse the uh, Klaus singing there. Um, it, here are some of the lyrics. Kick your ass to heaven with rock and roll tonight. <laughs> right. Kick your ass to heaven with rock and roll tonight. I'll make this night a special one. Make you feel all right. Pretty generic rock. Yeah, like braggadocio rudimentary, stupid. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, here, here's the one that I like. That, that's uh, pretty amazing. Shoot my heat into your body. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, you know what's funny is you mentioned the ambiguity of a later lyric, the, the eat your meat. Uh, I mean, I could argue that's pretty obvious what he's talking about there. But, you know, in the later verse, he inverts that to shoot your heat into my body. Ah, that's interesting. kind of interesting. Mm. Well, they do have an early song about he's a man, he's a woman, she's a man. That's right. right. So that's right. They, they were pretty uh, gender flexible back in the day. Even uh, in it the, could in be. The, in the it 70s. could be. You don't you don't know. You know, you yeah. don't know who's singing what here. You know, yeah. what, a role reversal of the narrator. Right. Um, yep. All right. So shoot, shoot my heat into your body or shoot your heat into my body. Depending yeah, on is it, is it later. who's pitching and catching, as it were. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Give you all my size, as you mentioned. Uh, take you down to hell. Okay. How does that work? I, I, I'm not Wait, sure. Take it. Yeah, it's just kind of violent, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, eat your meat. <laughs> Dude. Oh, my goodness. Uh, these, it's like it's like I almost want to take a shower after fucking listening to these gross lyrics. It's like a Gene Simmons I, I story. I think I blame, for some reason, I blame Rudolph Shaker. Yeah. It's like, hey, lady, you like a mustache ride? You know? <laughs> <laughs> totally. They're so gross. They really yeah. are the grossest fucking band. Um, um, okay, so uh, twirl your hips around, all right? I'm going to break my neck tonight. So I'm going to break my neck. I think that might be the eating the meat. You know, maybe yeah. he's got an awkward position, you know? Maybe. I don't fucking know. Maybe maybe he's on the wrong side of a glory hole or something. I I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever yeah, it is, it's it's not good. Whatever. No, it's not. It's not, and it does leave you feeling kind of uh, uh, scuzzy after listening to it. 
But I mean, you know, these are the most extreme lyrics, and there are examples of this kind of thing on a lot of Scorpions albums. Yeah. You mentioned Rocky Like a Hurricane with one of the most n- notorious versions of this. But even their regular lyrics, it just shows they don't really know English that well. Or it's almost like, yeah, it's just, it's like a 10-year-old kid writing these lyrics. Like uh, another one, Blackout. They, they don't make sense a lot of the time. Like, I look around and see this face. What the hell? Have I lost my taste? <laughs> what the fuck is that? <laughs> What's uh, he talking about? I mean, he's talking about a blackout, like he's yeah. got too drunk or something, but okay. And then you've got, you give me all I, my, I need. This is a ballad, right? Um, romantic ballad, which the Scorpions do. But it's like so, you know, it's the George Lucas, you know, when he, is this a, it's almost like a line that uh, Anakin would say in, the, uh, you know, one of the love scenes. Um, it makes me sad all the time to see you around with all these guys, my heart's in pain. Yeah, again, <laughs> like uh, the worst thing. And well, then now he another another thing from the song. Now, like it played loud, powerhouse sounds. What powerhouse yeah. sounds? It's so it's like there's another song from Taken by Force called Steam Rock Fever, and the lyrics are Steam Rock Fever in L.A. What yeah. the fuck, you know? <laughs> Or, no or wonder to they're touch popular in Japan. What about that? Sounds like Japanese English. But anyway, okay, and then another line from now. Nightlife and booze, girls to choose. <laughs> Are you ready, baby? Come on, let's cruise. Yeah. I would say the Scorpions probably spent about five minutes writing these lyrics for these songs. I mean, the lyrics are really an afterthought, except when they're getting creepy. Then they really put in the time to make it poetry, I guess. Yeah, with uh, the with album give you all my size. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, and then Shoot My Heat Into Your Body. You already mentioned that. In Arizona, loved her in her car, took me to the stars. I mentioned that. So it's just like these rudimentary childlike rhymes. It's really ridiculous, and I think it does take it down a peg for me. Uh, some of these lyrics. I mean, it's amusing, but, yeah. uh, you know, obviously when you're thinking of like albums standing the test of time, you know, lyrics are part of the song and, uh, you know, I don't know uh, how here. Well, I, um, I do think there's somebody who probably disagrees with us. I, my feeling is that Gene Simmons would listen to these lyrics and went, this is genius. I, I, oh, I, yeah. I got a copy. He's all, this. why didn't I think of why inches? Why didn't I think of this? Yeah. Why didn't I think of size? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. He uh, he probably those are probably his favorite songs. He probably yeah. would listen to those and go, yeah, these He's guys like, know what they're doing. The, obviously, the, they're regular um, Bob Dylan's here. I, I need a copy of these. Uh, so, so as uh, far as influence goes, yeah, I would say more people are listening to the Uli Roth stuff than ever, and I think that stuff's getting a slight influence. But you're generally right; most people don't even know about it. It's not really making an impact, which is too bad because I think it's really kind of. Uh, it needs to be recognized for the influence it had on 80s metal and how and also as it stands on its own on its own right. It's like the early Judas Priest. I mean, I think some that's some of the best Judas Priest. And it's often stuff people don't know as well as the anthemic kind of 80s. Like you got another thing coming, which I never need to hear again. Yeah. Uh, you know, as much as I love screaming for vengeance. Living after midnight is another living after midnight. These anthems that are just so, yeah. you know, compared to like Exciter, you Breaking know, the, or the Ripper. One, yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. they're great, but they've been overplayed and they're yeah. kind of simplistic compared to what the band was doing before. Um, and I would argue that this is the case with the Scorpions, although I think Blackout really does kind of strike that balance between popularizing and still being good as far as the songwriting in the melodic sense 
even though the lyrics leave a lot to be desired. Um, and of course, you got to give the band credit, you know, maybe they did help break down the uh, Iron Curtain. You know, I mean, they they had a huge influence in Russia and maybe maybe to Russians, maybe their their exchange, they would be super long on the Scorpions just because of that impact. You know, it's like um, there's something to be said for that, whether whatever happened there and whatever the relevance of their lyrics, they did reach people in a certain way, in a powerful way. And I do think, uh, you know, there's a charm to them. You know, well, I think, and there's and there's a timelessness to these songs. They they have stood the test of time. If you uh, watch the music, the Moscow Music Peace Festival, uh, I think nineteen circa nineteen eighty eight or yeah, that's that documentary has yeah. scenes of that in it. It's not the right. whole show, but it's like yeah, they were dressed as like the Castro special. Uh, you know, oh. <laughs> <laughs> maybe there was an appeal. Maybe they had there's an underground kind of leather daddy scene in Russia that they were. Uh, appealing to there as well, and maybe we are just talking about the kind of uh, ambiguity of their of their lyrics. Yeah, and then maybe it's the whole were, jeans exchange thing. Yeah, maybe you know, they were that's kind of weird. That. That's kind of a personal yeah. thing to exchange. Yeah. Um, but yeah, who knows? Maybe yeah, maybe they were more uh, advanced in a way for that era than we give them credit for, because the lyrics just seem you know pretty obviously kind of you know not very progressive. <laughs> um, <laughs> Let's to put it mildly. But I mean, the other thing is, you know, I think bands like Can and Faust and Tangerine Dream that, you know, I probably like them as much or more than some of the Scorpion stuff. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they were doing really experimental, interesting stuff. But the Scorpions are the biggest band that Germany ever produced and ever probably will produce. I would argue Kraftwerk is another one that's, you know, a towering influence and they're amazing. But as far as popularity, there's really no contest. The Scorpions are the biggest German band ever. And just for that alone, I would argue that there's some, some significance and long lasting value. Um, so I'm kind of with you. I think it's a bit, I think for me, I'm barely maybe a little more on the long side than you, just because, especially because of that Uli stuff, even though we're not talking about that, that's really important to me. So I kind of have to give them extra points for that. They get points taken away for lyrics, uh, and for maybe being very lightweight. Uh, but as far as like the melodic sense and the songwriting, when they're, when they're doing stuff that's maybe more original, like on, I would argue there's no one like you is pretty damn original blackout, maybe not, maybe China white, even though I really like the song, not so much as, as you pointed out. Um, and, uh, now maybe a little bit too derivative of Led Zeppelin, but I would argue I'm maybe barely long here because again, I think that they have enough in their favor to, uh, have me come out on that side. So that's, that's where I stand. Well, you know, in their lyrics from the Yuli era too, they're maybe not quite as gross, but they're weird and awkward in a different way too. Like the yeah, they're they're not like some of the lyrics I read here. They're nonsensical. They're yeah. kind of nonsensical. They don't really they don't really make sense, and it could be a language barrier thing. Yeah, or maybe it could just be not being very good at lyrics or a Spinal Tap thing like "Born to Touch Your Feelings." Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Uh, or like the other one that always. My, one of my favorite songs, like uh, in trance, right? It's like, are you entranced or in a trance? And they, yeah. they, they were yeah. never. What does entrance sure. mean? That's a really good point. That yeah. doesn't that doesn't mean anything in the English language. No, it doesn't. And so I was always confused by that. When you listen to that song, 
he definitely, if you look at the lyrics, sometimes you'll see it say, I'm in a trance, you know, at the, at the right. chorus. But that's not what he sings. He says, I'm in trance. Right? Yeah, Which do is they kind mean of, entranced? Should they yeah. have called the album Entranced? I mean, I kind of right. like the title Entranced, and I like the way it looks in the cover. It's a really cool album cover, yeah. censored or not. It's like one of their better ones, I think, um, as far as their more successful ones. But yeah, yeah, it's true. But they do weird shit like Love Drive. What the hell is that? Yeah, you know, it's like it's it's their own little word. They they yeah. they meant. Like, I mean, um, animal magnetism. I'm amazed they could figure that one out. You know, that's pretty sophisticated. <laughs> it is. Um, <laughs> I, I think uh, Love Drive might be Rudolf Schenker's personal hard drive, which you do not want to go and Oh, trust. yeah, yeah. So yeah, the authorities uh, might need to need to might need to break into that one. Yeah. Into that laptop. Yeah, I might want to investigate that. All right. Yeah, might be some Pete Townsend kind of stuff going <laughs> yeah, on. Gross. Uh, <laughs> and with that thought, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Take on the gross note. Yeah, as appropriate. All right, thanks everyone for joining us for episode 10 of the Cultural Future Exchange. Uh, We will be back next time with a cool piece of cultural ephemera for now. I'm Jeff signing off, and that is Slip signing off. All right, signing off. All right, (laughs) see y'all later. (laughs) 